Mm-hmm. Good morning. Good morning. So um, this week, our teaching. No. Yes. I don't know. Tip it up more. Tip it up more. I can tip. There. Can you hear me? Oh. <laughs> Good. Okay, we'll give it a go. Uh, this week's lesson is the last part, the last section of um, Romans, Romans 7, um, 7 to 25, and it's about the law and sin. Um, so before we can take a look at this, um, so it's split up into two different uh, sections. We have the law as sin's tool and the law in the struggle against sin. Um, so I felt like before we could really move into the second part of Romans, we needed to kind of review the, no, second part of Romans 7, we need to review the first part of Romans 7. Um, so last week, Sarah taught us that the law binds us to sin in the same way a man and a woman are bound together in marriage. Um, before we received the gospel, we were married to sin because we broke God's laws and are bound to the verdict that broke that law. The only thing that breaks the bond in both a marriage and um, with sin is death. The death of a spouse frees the living spouse to remarry and have union with another. The death of Christ breaks the bond of sinning, freeing us to have perfect union with God. Through faith, we died to sin and we now belong to another. We belong to the one who rose and the one who makes us bear fruit for God. So in true Paul fashion, he anticipates confusion and questions about the last truth about the law that he just taught us. Paul starts verse 7 with asking and answering the question that he thinks is coming or that he's previously heard or he has thought through himself. I'm starting to see that for Paul to really explain these truths and concepts, he must have really had to understand them very well for himself. He likely had many of the same questions that he asks and then lets the answers run through his mind while meditating on what the gospel actually means. Let's not forget what Paul was before he was miraculous, miraculously saved and therefore believed on the road to Damascus in the subsequent days after that. He had to rethink what he believed and the way he lived. He had to let himself be released from the law, having died to which held him captives, so that he could serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So I just paraphrase verse 6 there. So we're just going to read um, chapter 7, verses 7 to 25. I'm just going to grab that. I'll read it. Romans 7, verses 7 to 25. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sinning, 
See, but sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let's just pray before we start. Father God, we just come to you this morning. And we ask you to be here. I pray that um, the preparation that you have prepared in me to deliver would be delivered to ears that are hearing um, through your spirit, dear Father. I pray that you would just use me as a vessel to pour out your teaching to these women. Thank you for each family that is represented here. Um, Just care for us as we move forward in Romans and make it clear to us, dear Father, what it is you want to teach us. In your name we pray, amen. So as I said before, Paul seems to anticipate the question that he thinks his readers will logically ask after he explains that it is the law that binds a person as long as he lives. This is from verse 1. In verse 5, he accuses the law of arousing sin. So the question he poses is, what shall we say then, that the law is sin? He emphatically denies this claim with a stern, stern, by no means. Yet, if, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Paul is saying there is a relationship between the law and sin, but the two are not one and the same thing. He is stressing that if it were not for the law, he would not have understood sin to be what it is. Put another way, Paul is saying the law's main purpose is to reveal sin. It drives people to seek God's mercy and so ultimately to seek Jesus. 
The law is God's gracious way of revealing to us our flaws. The flaws were always there. The law just showed them for what they really were, sin. In verse 7, Paul brings up the example of covetousness to try to explain the relationship between the law and sin. So let's try to break this down into understandable bits. So the law, the 10th commandment, says do not covet. In this, the law is saying that to covet is wrong. God knows us better than we know ourselves. So he made a commandment to not covet because of the damage he knew it would bring us and the relationships around us. So did the people not covet before God made this law? Was there no sin before the law? We know that there was sin and that people did sin before the law. They sinned in all sorts of ways. It all started in the garden with Adam and Eve. They knew that eating the forbidden fruit from the tree of life was wrong. Before God even confronted them on what they had done, they knew that they had done something wrong and their sinful nakedness was exposed. But the law showed them it was sin. To covet after it was pointed out as sin was to bring death to themselves because now they knew it was wrong because God told them not to do it. So notice the phrase in verse 8 and 11, sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment. Paul uses this phrase in verse 8 and verse 11. Can you see it there? Did you notice that repetition when we were reading it? The repetition of these two verses emphasizes that it was sin, not the law, that produced all kinds of covetousness. It was sin, not the law, that deceived me and through it killed me. Paul is laying blame on sin and not the law for the damage that was done to our relationship with God. Is this starting to make sense? (coughs) To try and make it clear, I want to introduce you to my sweet Silas. Here he is with a chocolate whoopie pie donut. He is our chocoholic. He loves any kind of dessert. Now, Daddy bought him this donut at about four o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) and mommy comes along and says that looks fantastic buddy but you cannot eat it before dinner so the law is mommy says you cannot eat it before dinner the sin would be eating it before dinner so as soon as I point out that you can't eat it before dinner This face turns into this face. And I get, but I need it. But I want it. I'm going to die without it. So as soon as he takes a bite, he has sinned. He knew it was wrong before because mommy doesn't usually let you eat junk before a good healthy dinner. Anyway... I hope that makes it a little bit clearer. That's how the law and sin are different. In verse 12, Paul points out that the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Just like my rule to not eat junk food before dinner is good, so the law God gave is good and holy and righteous also. In verse 13, 
Again, Paul anticipates the question his reader would have. Did that which is good, being the law, then bring me death? Again, he answers with a resounding, by no means. Paul is saying that if that's what you're thinking, then you really aren't getting it yet. He says, it was sin. You can almost hear him yelling it. It was sin producing in me through what is good. Verse 13 is that part of scripture that says it was sin. As John Stott says it, says it, sin twists the function of the law from revealing, exposing, and condemning into encouraging and even provoking sin. Now, if you really notice, as we reread verse 14 to 25, there's a real shift in the way Paul is writing. So let's read this, and as we do, take a special note of the change you notice between these verses and the previous verses. So I'm going to reread 14 to 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. For if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So what differences do you notice between verses 7 to 13 and 14 to 25? If you look in your book on page 106, At the top, it gives you a pretty big hint of one of the big differences that you might see. Present versus past. That's right. So in verses 7 to 13, Paul is speaking in past tense. In 14 to 25, he's using the present tense. What are some of the different phrases that you notice that are past versus present? So let's look at verses 7 to 13. What are some of the past phrases? If you notice them, just yell them out. I'll start us off with one. How about um, in verse 7? I would not have known what it was to covet. I would not have known. It's past. I was once alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
at one time I lived without understanding the law. Mm -hmm. How about simple phrases like, I died and it killed me. These are all past tense, referring to a time before his conversion. Now in verse 14 to 25, Paul uses the present tense. What kind of phrases show present? For we know that the law is spiritual. Is spiritual. Mm -hmm. I am in the flesh. Uh-huh. Yep. I do not understand my own actions. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. I know that I can do what Mm hmm. I have the desire to do Right. He's talking in the present tense. He's talking like he's living that right now. In keeping with the theme of the way Paul was versus the way he is, let's work on question five from the book in, on page 106. So, question 5a says, In what way is he different? now that he belongs to Christ and is a slave of righteousness. He realizes his sinful nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about he now sees his sin for what it actually is? He sees it as sin. How about he sees that it's his flesh that desires sin, but his mind and his heart desire something different? Okay, let's look at B. What aspect of his pre-Christian past persists in his Christian present? So what parts are still the same? The flesh. Mm-hmm. Still sins. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Absolutely. Did somebody else have something? Another difference I noticed from verse 7 to 13 to 14 to 25 is that 7 or 14 to 25 is a lot more wordy. There's a lot more confusion in his talk. It seems you can really get a feel for how torn he is between being able to do what he wants to do and instead doing what he does not want to do. In verses 1 to 13, Paul is very clear and explains himself in terms of illustrations and examples. All that changes in verse 14. He struggles to figure out the whys and wherefores and the things he does and does not do in a very confusing and circular way. Let's keep these differences in mind as we look to understand our second point, the law in the struggle against sin. This passage in Romans 7 is said to be one of the most controversial passages in Romans. And they, I'm teaching it. <laughs> I am sorry. The controversy lies in the question, what experience is Paul talking about? Now, our workbook talks about three main experiences that are debated. The first one, they say that Paul is talking about his experience prior to becoming a believer. This would translate to the experience of a non-Christian's life. The second experience they're talking about, Paul is talking about 
a substandard Christian life. This would reflect a life of an unspiritual Christian. And the third is Paul is talking about the struggles that every believer has in their faith walk. Through much study and reflection and seeking of wise counsel, it's up to each of us to decide on which argument will land. I go to any debate thinking, does it really matter? Like, why are we even debating this? Like, why, why make an issue about it? Does debating it make any difference in my life or how I live my Christian walk? This one does. This is one of those arguments that really does matter. As Douglas Moo states it, he says, this debate is an important one because it influences our understanding and practice of the Christian life. So knowing this, we need to figure it out. Our book takes the stand that it teaches from the argument that Paul is speaking of the struggles of a Christian and walking through his, his or her Christian walk. This is the argument that I tend to agree with. I only have to read through verses 14 to 25 and can completely identify with the struggles that Paul is talking about. For the first argument that shows that it's um, um, a Christian living, their, living out their Christian walk is the fact that he talks about past and present tense. This is a proof that shows Paul is comparing his pre-conversion life to a post-conversion life that is, in, is, is the fact that he switches from the past to the present tense. Given the fact that he was speaking in the past tense in the previous verses, and in verse 14 picks up writing in the present tense, to me that is a huge clue that Paul is speaking of past experience and now present or current state of living. The fact that Paul switches to the present tense also indicates to me that he is referring to the Christian being in an ongoing battle against sin as a believer. It shows that even though God sees us as holy, because of the saving work of Jesus, we still live in the flesh and struggle with our fleshly sinful nature. Verse 14, Paul says it plainly, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. In verse 15, Paul starts to explain the internal struggles he feels living in the flesh. He used, his use of words here clearly show his struggle and the confusion and the angst that he feels. Just read over verse 15 to 20 again. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. His wording and his verbiage is so heavily felt in these verses. Who of us cannot 100% identify with the struggle Paul is feeling here? How many times have we sat there staring our sin in the face and asking, why did I do that again? Why do I keep doing this? Paul explains to us, 
he says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul clarifies further with verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Paul is arguing that living in the flesh causes us to sin, even though we have the desire to do what we know is right. This struggle confirms the goodness of the law that Paul agreed earlier, argued earlier, I'm sorry. But it also confirms the persistence of sin's effect. Have you ever heard of the term, the concept, already but not yet? The argument is that Christians, although the gospel has brought Christ's goodness into our lives already, we are not yet perfected in him. We live in this state of being redeemed by the saving work of Jesus, but we won't be perfected or completely sanctified until we are with him in glory. Jesus died for us, and if we believe in his saving work, we are already seen as righteous and holy in God's eyes. But there is still the struggle of living in the flesh. We are not yet sanctified, and we won't be this side of heaven. As my ESV Bible explains it, there there remains still a despicable presence of sin in our actions despite our cleansed status through the faith in Christ. As Paul describes it in verse 23, there's a war waging inside his members, a war against his mind, making him captive to the sin that dwells in those members. Notice that this is a battle of the mind against the body. There's so much temptation, so much sin, and so much distraction in the world we live in. It is, is it any wonder we see so much anxiety, depression, confusion, and mental illness in our world? We are worn down by trying to do the Christian life in our own strength. Even though we know we cannot do it in our own strength, we rely on our own abilities. We give in to the fight for our minds. We try to fight back on our own. We can echo Paul's cry when he says, Wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? But let's not sit in this low state. This acknowledgement of our helplessness should drive us, as it did Paul, to thanksgiving for what Jesus has done for us. Verse 25, Paul says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul sees where his help in his fleshly struggle comes from. He turns to Jesus. Just as the law was designed to do, Paul recognizes his sin, feels his desperation in it, and looks to Jesus as his saving grace. Question 9 in our books asks a good question. It's on page 108. In verse 8, chapter 8, verse 3, Paul speaks of what the law has, was powerless to do. What was the law powerless to do for Paul, both before and after he became a Christian? And why was it powerless? Does anybody have any answers for that? Powerless to save him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The law was powerless to give us that right standing with God. 
It was powerless because its purpose was to show us where we're sinning, not to save us from the sin. It was to show us the sin. Another good question is also on page 108. It's the um, application question. It says, thank God for providing the way of escape in your struggle against sin. Temporarily escape by winning the daily battles and ultimate escape when we die physically. Thank God for helping you accept that you will always have this struggle on earth and for giving you hope of ultimate victory. And it says to memorize verse 7, 24 to 25, and let those verses encourage you the next time you struggle against sin. Have, does this seem clear? Like, has this been made clearer to you, <coughs> ladies? <clears throat> In conclusion, I want us to review and take something away from today. So we know that the law exposes sin for what it is. It is a devastating stronghold that threatens to throw us into confusion, turmoil, and most importantly, eternal separation from God. The law makes us feel as Paul did when his sin was exposed. As with Paul, we understand that apart from God's intervention, we are tied to the weight of sin. No, the law is not sin. No, the law is very good and holy and righteous. It drives us towards the strong tower for help and shelter. It exposes the sin in our members that apart from God is impossible to have victory over. The law exposes our need for a savior. Thanks be to God for sending us Jesus Christ who took our place and gives us a right standing with God. Even as we live in the already but not yet of our Christian walk, we can have confidence that we will overcome the hold sin has on us. As we'll learn next week from Bev, God did not intend for us to fight the fleshly battle of sin on our own. God has given us new life in the spirit, a helper to give us life in the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Let's pray that God will be preparing our hearts for what Bev's teaching has to say for us next week because it's really important to not sit in this heaviness um, but to know that God has provided a way for us to conquer the sin that's in our lives. So let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had this morning. I pray that um, what we've learned and what we've studied here, we can take away and allow it to penetrate deep into our hearts, dear Father, to realize that as we live in this flux state of already but not yet, dear Father, that there is something more to come. We have been so blessed by being seen in a right standing, but ultimately we are going to be perfected. We're just not there yet. And so help us to sit in that and to be okay with that, but to look to you as we walk this Christian walk, Father God. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, if there's any questions, we have quite a bit of time for questions or comments. Yeah, Debbie? Um, in the past, I always struggled with the salvation of people in the Old Testament mm -hmm. um, because of it. And I, I understand it's through faith. And, um, and even now, 
it's equally the same. Like it is faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. But we can't judge another person on what their faith level is. Mm -hmm. Just the same as in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I mean, God knew what their heart was mm -hmm. and what their, you know, what their faith was like. So they would have been accepted or rejected based on that. Right. You know, as we are today. Right. I always thought they had the law to follow and the law couldn't save them, mm -hmm. but it was their ultimately their mm -hmm. Yeah, and they, I, I think the thing that yeah. caught me was that um, they knew, even before the law was given, we knew what sin was. Like, just think of Adam and Eve. They knew right off the hop that they had screwed up. They hid. So God had told them not to eat of the fruit, but they knew that there was something deeper. There was something more. There was a sinfulness. They hid. They didn't hide the fruit. They hid their nakedness. That they, they, their eyes were open to their sin. And so they could just understand that, right? And we're not told a lot about what they were supposed to do. But the sacrificial system that was set in place, even back then, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, when Cain gave his sacrifice and it was not accepted because he was doing what he thought would please God. But God had told Abel and Abel obeyed. So there was that obedience right from the beginning. But you know one thing I wanted to say this morning, what you taught, and guess what? She was supposed to teach next week. I was supposed to teach this week. And this girl came to me and said, you know what? This is too much. Because we had just 